0: Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And as we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see your love. So Jesus, thank you for bringing this love to us. And I pray now that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit as we open your word. May we have hearts that are attentive to what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going through a sermon series here at Cornerstone Church where we're looking at Matthew chapters 1 through 7. We started right before Christmas, looked at the Christmas story, and we're just going to continue on through chapter 7. We're, we've kind of taken some big chunks for now, and we're going to take a, a half of chapter 4 today. But when we hit chapter 5, we're going to slow it down a little bit. That's the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll take a good long time to go through that. But as always, when we go through a longer section of scripture like this, I just want to encourage you to be reading this scripture for yourself, hearing what God has to say. You you will get so much more out of this if you are studying it and and learning the context and listening to God, talking to God and praising him as you chew on this material as well. In today's sermon, we're going to look at a well-known passage, the temptation of Jesus. In this passage, we see Satan three times tempting Jesus. And each time, Jesus responds with scripture. He responds faithfully. it doesn't fall into the temptation. Now, this passage, it's a pretty simple one to figure out what it's about. It, it's simply about the temptation of Jesus and Jesus being faithful in the midst of it. But as we dig into this passage, I think we'll see some wonderful things, some applications for us, some things that we can learn and take away. Now, just a quick side note here. Every time that Jesus answers with scripture in this passage, he's he's answering from Deuteronomy chapters 6 through 8. So I don't know if Jesus had just recently had a quiet time there or what the deal was, but he he chose to answer Satan from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. And one thing that some of you might want to do even today is just sit down at home and read those chapters. I, I did that I think three times in the last few days and it's just a really rich section of scripture. And it'll give you a lot more understanding into what Jesus was saying as he was answering Satan in these temptations. So, Deuteronomy 6 through 8, some of you may want to read that and chew on that sometime in the next couple days. Okay, Um, let's read our passage for today Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And just let me stop there. Let's remember, Jesus was a human being. Sometimes we, we think of him as you know, 100% God, which he, he is. He is 100% God. But sometimes we forget that he was also 100% human. And that as a human here, without eating for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Really adds a lot to the, the scene here of the temptation. So in verse 3, we see the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... So what we're going to do with this passage today is we're going to take a look at it from three different angles. And and each of these angles, I think, will help us figure out how we should apply this passage. So the first angle that we're going to look at today is the angle of Satan as tempter. Satan as tempter. Now it's pretty obvious from this passage that, that the devil wanted to get Jesus to stray from the path that God had for him. And whether Satan is dealing with Jesus or with us, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to get off course by sinning. Now also there's something we we can learn about the devil from his name. Both the word devil, which is a Greek word, and the word Satan, which is a Hebrew word, mean accuser. So not only does he want to tempt us, but when he gets us to do something wrong, he wants to then stand against us and accuse us. So, so Look at it this way. Here's Satan. He tries to be all buddy-buddy with us. Put his arm around us. say, Hey, you, you should do this. It'll be good for you. Come on, do it. And then the moment we do it, he stands against us and says, Ha, you're a sinner. Now, it's, it's pretty obvious when we look at it like that that Satan does not have our best interests in mind. He tempts us. He accuses us. We learn from other places in Scripture that he is looking to devour us. That's a 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We should be aware of his schemes. Now, in this passage, we see that he often works through temptation. So let's look at some of these temptations. So, for example, one of them in verses 5 through 6, Satan tried to tempt Jesus to throw himself off of the temple and to see if the angels would catch him. Now, this one's interesting because as you're probably aware, Satan actually quoted scripture in that temptation, and he, and he actually quoted it accurately. He's quoting Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, saying, this is what the angels will do for you. And, and I was just thinking as I was reading that now, you know, Satan used to be one of those angels. So he, he, he knew what that verse meant. he was twisting it a little bit and Jesus responded to him by saying it is also written do not put the Lord your God to the test and there Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6:16. 6, 16 so you see Satan quoted scripture but he misapplied it if you were to read Psalm 91 it's not about God's people just going off and doing stupid things and saying God protect me in it no, Psalm 91 is about God's provision and protection for those who do his will not for those who test him There's a warning in here for us. And and we talked about this one. Brian led us in our adult Sunday school class this morning about half-truth. Sometimes it's very appealing for us if there's something that the sinful nature wants us to do and and something that we're kind of looking at and saying, yeah, that looks pretty good. And we can kind of look at a Bible verse, you know, maybe if we kind of skew it a little bit or look at it from a different angle, we can kind of say, yeah, you know what, I think that's okay. Guys, we have to be so careful with this one. It is... It is so tempting for us to want to go our own way and do our own thing. And yeah, you know, we don't want to reject God if we do it, but if we can say, oh, God will think that's okay, we can convince ourselves to do it. That's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do here. Fortunately, it didn't work. You see, Satan's goal is to take a, a, a truth and mix it with a lie so that we swallow the whole thing and we just have to guard ourselves against that. And really the best way that we can do that is just to know the truth as well as we can so that if we see a lie mixed in it, we can pick it out. Satan also tempted Jesus in verses 8 to 9 trying to get Jesus to worship Satan. Satan promised Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he offered that to Jesus without having to go through the pain of the cross. Now now it's interesting, um, Jesus knew that this was already... Promised to him if he would follow the path that God had for him, but now Satan offered it for him on a different path. But Jesus knew that this came at great cost. He'd have to reject the Father and, and worship Satan. See, God had already made a much better offer an offer of life. And when we think about it, it's the same for us. God has an offer of life for us. Satan. Has an offer that ends in death a- and we have to choose now I was thinking about this and I've got a, a sports analogy it's Super Bowl Sunday so we'll use a football analogy and, and it's okay women I've got one later that's going to be for you but um, we're going to use a sports analogy first now th- once this Super Bowl gets over we're going to start uh, what's called the free agency period of football now the Vikings have some free agents one of those is a guy named Jared Allen he's one of their best defensive players and let's say that the Vikings want to keep him. And let's say that they offer him $7 million a year because they want to keep him. Now, let's say that the enemy, the uh, Green Bay Packers... No, I... I, I wasn't going to say that. Why did that... How did that slip out? Okay, neither the Packers nor the Vikings are fully evil or fully good. Let's just get that on the table first. But, but let's say the Green Bay Packers also want to get Jared Allen. And they also offer him $7 million a year to play football for them. Now, Jared Allen might think to himself, oh, that's great, the Vikings want to pay me $7 million and the Packers want to pay me 7000000 million. I'll just take them both, get $14 million out of the deal. Well, it doesn't really work that way. The Vikings nor the Packers, ne- neither team would let him do that. A- and I hope it's painfully obvious now that, spiritually speaking, it's like that for us. We have a choice to make. Either we take the path that God has for us, or we take the path that Satan has for us. And, and it's, it's so obvious when we say it like that, but the problem is that too often in our lives, we say, yeah, I, God, I, I want the path that you have for me, but then we hear that, that siren call of temptation, and we, and we look at what the world has to offer, and sometimes we say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to all that stuff you have for me, but I kind of want this too. And we just have to be so careful I mean, look at it from, from Jesus' perspective here. It was, it was a matter of worship. Who are we following? So just be careful when those temptations come. Those temptations do not stand alone. They come at a cost to us. They war against our soul to try to get us to worship the one who is not God. So let's make sure that we're, we're making the right choices here. You see, Satan tempts us. He lies to us because He is our enemy, and God's enemy too. Now, I I asked the question here as I was reading this passage, why does God let Satan do that? Shouldn't God just kind of stamp him out and say, hey, you can't do that to these people? But look at our passage. Right away in verse 1, we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. This was God Himself, the Holy Spirit, leading Jesus to be tempted. Well, that's one thing that we need to understand about temptation is that God sometimes allows it in our lives now don't misunderstand God doesn't tempt us and, and neither is it true that Satan is somehow stronger than God or that God hasn't noticed when Satan tempts us nor is it true that, that God has somehow lost control of things actually the fact is that sometimes God allows these temptations in our lives because he knows it's good for us to see how we'll respond In Deuteronomy 8 2, again in that section, Deuteronomy 6 through 8, chapter 8, verse 2, God told the Israelites that He tested them in order to know what was in their heart, to see if they would keep His commands. And in that sense, it's very okay for God to test us. It's not okay for us to test God, but it's okay for God to test us. And the reason for that is that God is perfectly good. Now, yes, there is, there's a scripture, some of you may be thinking of it in Malachi, where it talks about how we're supposed to test God and bring our tithes to him. It's actually a different word for testing, and there the idea is that we're to, to look at God's promises and to, to say, yeah, that's a promise, so sure, I'll do it, and see if God is faithful. But the testing we're talking about here is that negative kind of testing where we say, God, I'm not so sure that you have my best interest in mind. That's the sort of thing that we should never be saying to God. Because the fact is that God always gives us all that we need. And that was true for Jesus in the desert. Now again, I'm sure that he was hungry here. But he needed to remember, God was still sovereign. God was still taking care of him. See, God still allows temptation sometimes as a test of our faith. And Satan, the tempter, still tempts us. He's looking for people to devour. He promises us the things of this world. But the things of this world will turn out empty. I'm sure many of us in this room have, have already figured that out. As we've, we've looked at what God has for us and we've looked at what the world has for us and sometimes we've followed those things of the world and maybe sometimes we've even gotten those things of the world that we wanted and we realize it doesn't satisfy. And, and the fact is, It wasn't created to satisfy. And the fact is, Satan knows that it's not created to satisfy, and he's lying to us. That's the view that we need of temptation. When our enemy, who is looking to devour us, promises us something that will satisfy, we need to realize it will not satisfy. We need to trust that what God has for us is best. So, like it says twice in Scripture, we are to resist the devil. It says that we are to take our stand against his schemes. And we are to know that when temptation comes, God will provide a way out. Here's a wonderful verse. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So when you're tempted, try to look at it from God's perspective. And when we see it that way, what we'll see is that sometimes Satan takes something that's good and twists it, like he did with Scripture in verse 6. I was trying to think, what would be some other examples in our daily life of what Satan might take that is good, but he twists it? One of the examples I thought about was our desire for rest. God himself has commanded us to rest one day a week. Did you know that, by the way? Just a little side note. God actually wants you to rest one day a week. Now, Rest is a good thing, but Satan might take our desire for rest and twist that and try to tempt us to become lazy. Or another obvious example would be sexual temptation. God created sex, and in marriage it is a good thing. But outside of marriage, in whatever form that might be, whether that's sex before marriage, or adultery, or pornography, whatever it might be, it is a, Satan takes it and twists it and it's no longer a good thing. So, if the tempter still tempts us, the application question I want to ask you here is, what are you tempted by? One of the things that that Brian said again in the, the Sunday School lesson this morning was that Satan works on our weaknesses. So where are you weak? Where are those points where you might be prone to temptation? Just talk to God about that and say, God, I know I'm weak here, so would you make me strong? The the Bible also says that God makes us strong in our weaknesses. Let's just be aware of what our enemy, the devil, is doing here. And let's stand against his scheme. Okay, let's look at this passage now from our second angle. We've got three angles we're going to look at. The second angle here is the angle of Jesus as an example for us. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus was made like us in every way. Remember, he was fully human, like we are. It also says in Hebrews 2 that Jesus suffered when he was tempted. And then in chapter 4, we're told that Jesus, as our high priest, is able to sympathize with us um, because he was tempted. But then it adds one more important thing in Hebrews, chapter 4, that he was without sin. So he went through all of these things, but was without sin. And one of the ways that we should look at this passage then is to say, well, Jesus was perfect and he sets a great example for us so we can learn from his example. You see, Jesus experienced temptation like we do. And, and actually, I would add to that, that that he probably experienced temptation to a much higher degree than we ever will. I See, I think that Satan threw all that he had at Jesus. I also think, like I mentioned in communion, that we will never know the depth of temptation that Jesus felt, because we don't have to face what he faced. We'll never have to face the burden of carrying the sins of the world on our shoulders. And I'm guessing most of us will not die by Roman crucifixion. So Jesus faced a lot more than we will. Yet he was without sin. How did he do it? Well, let's learn from his example. So verse 3. Uh, Satan there tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread. Remember, fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And I've sometimes wondered, what would have been wrong if, if Jesus just said, oh yeah, you know, that's not a bad idea, let's do that. You know, elsewhere in scripture, Jesus miraculously provided food for other people. Why couldn't Jesus do a miracle here? Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. Turning stones into bread is completely inappropriate while you're fasting. It's like going to McDonald's and ordering a Big Mac. What are you doing? No. I'm just going to order it. I'm not going to eat it. Uh, no. You see, if you understand the context, again, of Deuteronomy 6 through 8, you'll quickly notice a link between what was happening with Jesus in the desert here and what happened there with the Israelites in the desert. Remember when the Israelites were hungry in the desert? What did they do? They grumbled and they complained and they tested God. Jesus shows us the proper attitude. You see, Jesus fully accepted what God had for him here. And what God had for him here was fasting. And if God had fasting for him, then Jesus knew that God would sustain him in it. And Jesus didn't need to go do some little miracle and turn the stones into bread. He could trust God and say, God, you will get me through this. So one of the great examples for us is that in whatever we're going through, we should look to God and say, God, you're enough whatever it is I'm going through, you are enough, and I'm going to trust you and not go my own ways, not demand my own ways. I think that's one of the great difficulties that we have as humans is that we demand our own ways too much. We spend our whole lives thinking about things that we want, and it can be so easy for us to fall into the trap of demanding what we want. And that's actually pretty natural then, according to our sinful nature to follow that path of demanding. But what we need to do is to learn to trust God. And we can have pretty short memories when it comes to God's faithfulness. Think about the Israelites. They had just been brought miraculously out of Egypt. God did the whole Red Sea miracle, which can you, again, you think back to that one, can you imagine walking through the, the Red Sea parts and walk through on dry land. you think it would be this amazing faith-building experience that they went through. But just a few days later, the Israelites were complaining because they didn't have water. And it just, it, in some senses, doesn't make sense to me. The God who just did this huge water miracle, now they're complaining against Him because they don't have water. But isn't that how we are? We forget God's faithfulness. We forget how good He is to us what we need to do is to remember that he is good that he gives us all that we need now Jesus' example here also I I have to mention is that he quoted scripture when Satan tempted him each of the three times again he quoted scripture (coughs) by reminding himself of God's word Jesus remained faithful to what God had for him one theologian called this the supreme example of the spirit led life that as we're going through life, we remember what God has said. The Holy Spirit, it says in in John, the Gospel of John, wants to remind us of all truth. One of the ways he does that is by reminding us of Scripture. So application here, in temptation, we should make sure to remember what God has for us. And and what I want to add to that is that we don't just wait until we're tempted to remember that. We need to be training ourselves right now so that when temptation comes, we're ready for it. How are we ready for it? Well, Jesus' example here, with Scripture. God's Word is truth, and we are to hold on to it. It says that God's Word is like a sword for our battle, that we are in a battle against our enemy. And God has given us a sword. In 1 Timothy 2.15, Paul urged Timothy how to correctly handle the Word of Truth. So how do we do that? We've got this sword. The goal is that we would handle it correctly. How do we do it? Well, I mentioned I was gonna give another sports analogy. If you can, well, yeah, we'll just call it a sport. But um, rhythmic gymnastics, you know, and when I, I am maybe talk mockingly of it, but there's no chance I could ever do any of the stuff that they do in rhythm. You guys know what rhythmic gymnastics is? this is stuff, these these women train themselves to do these phenomenal things. So if you don't know what it is, it's basically the floor exercise, but they add in a prop to it. So they're they're doing all these flips and spins, and it's just amazing not not only the the strength that they have to do these things, but the body control that they have to do these things. And then in rhythmic gymnastics, they add a prop to it, like a club or a a hula hoop or a ribbon. And a a ribbon is the one that I want to focus on for now. So I want you to picture, it's an Olympic event and you've got these women that are doing these amazing things and uh, do you think that the way that it works in rhythmic gymnastics is that somebody's been working on the floor exercise for years and years and years and years and then they come up to the Olympics and they say, oh, maybe I'll just add a ribbon to that as well. No, I mean, they're they're taking that ribbon, they're throwing it around, it's going all over, it, it looks beautiful and they just have complete control of that ribbon. And no, they didn't just pick that thing up. They've been working with that thing for the last several years, probably. So much so that it almost becomes part of their body. And that's, I think, what we should be doing with Scripture. Knowing it so well that it becomes part of us. That when temptation comes, that we respond with Scripture like that. See, one of the best ways to resist temptation is to be saturated in God's Word. I think that's what Jesus modeled for us. The more that we let God's Word shape and change our lives, the more ready we'll be to resist temptation when it comes. See, the temptations will keep coming. We need to be ready with God's Word. And then there's one other application here from what Jesus said. Following his example. And that is that we are to worship the Lord our God and serve him only. I have met very few people in my life who have claimed to worship Satan. What about you guys? Do you know more than one person in your whole life who has ever said to you, "I, I worship Satan? No. For some reason, in our day and age, that's just not a very appealing thing to do. Yet when we look around, we see so many people following the ways of Satan. So what's happened? It's, it's not like they woke up one day and said, yeah, I'd like to do that. What probably has happened is that is exactly what Satan wanted to happen, is that they just kind of veered off course a little bit. And Jesus gives us a wonderful corrective for that, and it's that we are to worship the Lord our God. See, worship has a way of keeping us on the right track. There's lots of great reasons to worship, but one of the great reasons is that it reminds us of who God is. So that when Satan comes with his temptations, we'll, we'll be able to say, Hey, no, I don't follow you, I follow God. And we worship Him. And remember, worshiping isn't just about the songs that we sing. It's about living our whole lives for God. So what are you doing right now in your life worship God what constant reminders do you have in your life to worship God we're we're doing one of them here we're gathering together to encourage each other to worship and let's stay committed to that it can be so easy for us to feel like we don't need church like we don't need the body of believers but let me just tell you we are stronger together than we are when we're apart So that's one great reminder to worship is the fellowship of believers. Other great reminders are being regular in God's Word, reading it daily. Another great reminder is continual prayer. How are you doing at that one? Throughout your day, are you talking to God? Some of you, maybe your application point from the sermon today needs to be that you remember to take more regular time to pray. Not even that it's necessarily like a whole lot of time, but just throughout your day you're talking to God. Because think about that. The more you check in with God, the more ready you'll be to face temptation when it comes. And then another thing that Jesus said there is we can serve God. Serving has a way of taking our focus off of ourselves. Because when we focus on ourselves, that's when we get off track. But serving God is a great way to keep on the right track. So how are you serving? If you were to read Deuteronomy 6-8, through you'd see in chapter 6 that one of the dangers is that life would start to go well for us and that we would forget God. May may that one never happen for us. Let's remember, in every circumstance of life, that we need God and that we are to worship Him and serve Him only. Let's follow Jesus' example. Now, for some people, as they would look at this passage, they might say, yep, we covered it. We, we talked about Satan. We talked about Jesus as our example. There, we've got it. And, uh, and you might even be done with the sermon by now, but unfortunately, the sermon's not quite over yet. Uh, well, I say unfortunately, but uh, I'm going to keep going anyways. We have one really, one more very, very important thing to look at. And I, I think... One of the dangers for us in reading this passage is that we would simply think about us in this passage, that we would say, okay, Satan still tempts me, and Jesus sets an example for me. But there would be one thing that you would miss if you looked at the passage that way. The third angle that I want to look at this passage from is Jesus as Messiah. Now, yes, this passage gives us a wonderful example for us in the life of Christ of how we can resist temptation. But perhaps even more than providing us an example, there's something perhaps even more important going on here. And it's the fact that Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God, our Messiah. See, God has always wanted his people to follow him faithfully. Think about that. Adam and Eve in the garden. God wanted them to follow him. God gave them everything that they could have needed. It was paradise. There was just one thing that they weren't supposed to do. And what happened? The serpent came in and deceived them and they sinned. Also in the Old Testament, we know that God wanted his people, the Israelites, to follow him. He gave them his word. He provided for them. He protected them. Yet what did they do? Too often, like us, they were this roller coaster of ups and downs. Something was tragically wrong with humanity. Now we know the solution, right? The solution was that God was going to send His Son, Jesus Christ, born as a man, to come to this world, to live a perfect life, to bear our sins, to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to raise again from the dead victoriously. It is a wonderful message. It's called the Gospel, and I hope that you know it and can proclaim it to others. But in order for the Gospel message to come to us, Jesus had to live a perfect life, and in order for Jesus to live a perfect life, he had to resist these temptations from Satan. And in that sense, this passage is probably far more important than any of us realize. You see, Satan's temptations were designed to knock Jesus off course. Even getting him to commit one tiny little sin, like turning stones into bread, would have been enough to make him an, an imperfect sacrifice for us. Now, fortunately, Jesus didn't fall for that one. Okay, so Satan moves on then. Okay, I, uh, I can't get him to commit that just one little tiny sin, then Satan maybe thinks, I'll try to trick him. So in the second temptation here, he tries to trick Jesus, even quotes scripture and says, hey, this is what the angels will do for you. Throw yourself off the temple and they'll catch you. But fortunately, Jesus didn't fall for that one. You get it? He didn't fall for that one. Okay. But then Satan pulled out the big one. In the third temptation, Satan offered to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, Like I said, something that had already been promised to Jesus in God's path, but Satan offered it to him without having to go to the cross. Now you and I will never know how big that temptation was. Think about temptation again from the history of the world. Adam and Eve fell into sin. Israelites fell into sin. We fall into sin. Jesus here was tempted. What would he do? The theologian Craig Blomberg said of Jesus in these temptations refusing to die for the sins of the world would have given the devil rather than God the victory. Well, thankfully, Jesus responded in faith. He submitted to God's plan, not Satan's temptation. Now I say thankfully because it means everything for us. Now, it's kind of mind-boggling to think about what was going on here, and theologians have argued throughout the centuries, was Jesus actually able to sin here, or was he not able? It, you know, it, to me, I don't even like to ask that question, because it doesn't give us the answer here, and it's just too much for my mind to understand. And, and, you know, let's say hypothetically, if Jesus were able to sin, and he did, what would have happened to Jesus? That's a mind-boggling thing, too, and I just, you know, there, there are things that I can't even grasp begin to wrap my mind around. But what is perfectly clear to me is that if Jesus fell into temptation here, what's perfectly clear is what would have happened to you and me, and it would have been eternal separation from God. One sin would have made Jesus an unsuitable sacrifice for our sins, and praise the Lord, he didn't fall into it. So I think that one of the ways that we have to look at this passage is to simply stop and to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did and not falling into that temptation. Now I said earlier that uh, worshiping God is useful for us because it helps to keep us on the right track. And that's one great reason to worship. But here we see maybe an even better reason to worship God. It's that God is worthy. Jesus came and lived that perfect life for us so that we wouldn't have to face the penalty of our sins. And really what what we should do is not just stop and say thank you, but really live our whole lives in gratitude for what Jesus did for us. I, I think that that's absolutely the response that we should have in looking at this passage. Say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. So this passage is an important one for us. It's important that we learn who Satan is. He still tempts us. We we see Jesus setting a wonderful example for us of how we can resist temptation by holding on to God's word. And it's also important to us because we see who Jesus is, our perfect Messiah. And our response should be to seek to live the lives that God wants us to live. Temptations will come. We should strive for faithfulness. Deuteronomy 6.18 says, Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you. Now we have lots of ideas of how our lives can go well. But God has a better idea. What we need to do is remind ourselves to follow the path that He has for us. And again, our sinful nature will battle us every inch of that battle to try to get us to do what we want to do. But what we are supposed to do is to live our lives in gratitude to God, following the path that He has for us. And we're to keep our eyes on Jesus all the while. One of the key themes I've picked out so far from Matthew chapters 1 through 4 is that God has given us our Savior and we need to respond rightly to him. You think about the wise men responding rightly to him. You think about John the Baptist preparing the way, telling us to repent. And now we see this this section of scripture where I think we're supposed to look at Jesus and say thank you. And we're supposed to follow his example. One of the great examples of Jesus is in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. See, we trust God for our daily bread. We don't go out and grab it ourselves. In the the Lord's Prayer, Jesus also prayed, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Jesus lived a faithful life, and the end result was glory for him. He now lives and reigns in heaven. Yeah, there was a rough spot along the way that, that cross and we might have many rough spots along the way in our lives as well, but we are to keep faithful knowing that God's path is best for us and it ends in glory with Him forever. So may we be faithful to all that God has for us, committed to living according to God's ways, thanking Jesus along the way, keeping our eyes on Him, living according to God's ways and not the ways of the world, not the ways of our flesh, and certainly not the ways of our enemy. Satan. May God grant us the strength and the wisdom to follow him. As we keep our eyes on Jesus, that's what God will do for us. I'd like to close in prayer and uh, after I'm done praying, I actually would like for you to join me in saying the Lord's prayer. Jesus, we're grateful for what you did for us. May we always be grateful as we look at this passage and these temptations that we will probably never know the full weight of. We thank you that you are faithful in your love for us and in your obedience to your Father. We, we praise you that you went the full distance to be our perfect Messiah and Savior. We praise you. And God, we thank you for your plan and how you want to strengthen us to live the lives that you have for us to live. May we walk rightly with you, worshiping and serving you, holding on to your word and resisting the devil. God, we praise you that you are stronger than our enemy. And that you love us and you bring your children to be with you forever. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit to live the lives you want us to live. And now we all join together in saying that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.